You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Belated Mountain West Wire football podcast. Uh, Matt, this might be a theme we've been doing the past couple weeks. A, not a Sunday show, so if you're waiting, clamoring, pardon our dust. Well, you're you're being a road warrior. That's a that's a perfectly valid excuse. I been if you listen to our last show, what I don't even know who was the last team we did. I should look at my chart, but uh, Utah State. Mm-hmm. I've been and since then, um, I think I've been to Dallas. Um, Texas, Bryan, Texas, and now in Houston, Texas. I've been going everywhere. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's you gotta you gotta fit where you do it, man. I'm doing it late at night during a nasty lightning storm outside here. Hope my plane's not delayed on next the next morning. So, but yeah, this is not the weather podcast or travel podcast. MWR.com football podcast today, and as voted by you all, y'all out there in Twitterverse, um, Twitterverse is stupid. Why did I say that? Man? I don't know, but. It's Boise State this week. Last year, our buddies Raj, Paul, and Eric were like, don't vote. Do it at the end. Save the best for last. Well, that didn't work last year because they weren't the best last year. So, just <laughs> right? Maybe they want to be earlier on to the rotation. Something like that. So, what we did always do last year, they made the championship game, COVID year. So, it's like, eh, did it really happen? Some fans just like to say no, but we'll say it did happen. They lost in the title game to San Jose State. wasn't all that close, really, if you think about it. But the it's you'll hear us repeat this all the time. The weird thing about last year was that, especially more so Boise State, as we said throughout last year, was remember, Matt, it was like they weren't just out because of COVID. They had all the uh, you needed X number of linemen or X number of offensive linemen or DBs or linebackers. There's a couple position groups. Mm-hmm. They had games canceled not because of people being sick or contact patient, but actually being injured. Plus that. Yeah, and so when you but like when you look back at the season that was, and you see that like okay, they managed to go five and two, they managed to you know lead the conference in points per game and things like that, and they were generally the the same kind of above average Boise team that we've come to expect year in and year out, but you know as with pretty much every team in the Mountain West, there was a little bit of an element of weirdness in addition to. You know, maybe some of the things that that you know, like I think you mentioned the injuries in particular. You know, the types of things that 
teams will deal with no matter what. And so it was just kind of one of those things where like, yeah, they weren't five and two, they went to the championship game, but there was, you sort of felt like there was still something like a little bit lacking, like, you know, in terms, in terms of like, you know, net points per drive, for instance, they were just outside of the top 50. There were a number of teams in the Mountain West that were that were ahead of them, like Fresno State was ahead of them. San Diego State, we talked about a couple weeks ago, was ahead of them. You know, Nevada, San Jose State, and so you know, you, you look at at where they ended up. You look at where they're projected to be in in twenty twenty one, and I mean, this is still a top forty team by like SP plus, but with all of the transitions that this team is going through right now, um, new head coach new offensive coordinator, kind of new old defensive coordinator (laughs) and losing a handful of really key pieces on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Like it's, it's a fair bet that they're going to be a very good team again, but the, the question as always, maybe, maybe more so than in many years past is, well, what is their ceiling this time around? Because I think there's, I think it's sort of an open question relative to a lot of other years. Can I backtrack to something you said about the season last year? Yeah. So, you know, you said it was a lot of weirdness. That's not the correct term. They were ducking teams last year. Don't forget. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, be sure to be sure to forward all commentary to at Jeremy Moss on, tw- on uh, Twitter.com. Of course. But the San Jose State, yes, but, but totally that Vegas game versus the Rebels. Come on. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, just, I had to bring that up because it's so ridiculous and stupid, people. No, they. Oh, I, I just don't think that's the, more, the funniest thing. I'm like, uh, but that <laughs> makes me laugh. I, you're going to go to like, I need to pause. I need to pause. I waited to pause. I'm like, I gotta say, take you, take you back two minutes. Mm-hmm. But, but the season itself, it was. You're correct because specifically the, the lacking part. But you look at the score. Like you just look at how they won. They, every game was like a like a lot of blowouts. Like they should have blown out Hawaii to win by eight points. They came back in the second half. They crushed the Air Force. They scored 40-plus points a game. The Wyoming game is weird, 17-9. They lose to San Jose State, which is not unexpected. It's how good they were. The only real it, – it's, it's it's a weird thing to describe. The Boise – or, excuse me, BYU game was just a butt-kicking. Mm-hmm. And that was just how good Boise, BYU was last year. CSU game was weird because they scored, what, 21 points on special teams? Mm-hmm. So, in a Hawaii game in the second half, they nearly, they nearly blew the lead. And so, like, they, the record was fine. Was a well above average. He played the championship game, but I, what do you think? Like you say, it's kind of lacking. Like, what do you mean by that? Because what were they missing? It may. I mean, in a, in in a, in short, it was like if if it wasn't one thing, it was another. Whether it was injuries, whether you know, because like you mentioned, the BYU blowout, and they were down to like the what fifth string QB yeah, in that game. And, you know, and if it wasn't that, then they were missing George Halani. And if it wasn't that, then they were missing a number of defensive linemen. And if it wasn't that, then there was like, you know, and, and it wasn't to say that they weren't, you know, like the, you know, the stars that were left standing throughout the year didn't produce, but there were still, there were some elements that you were accustomed to seeing that, you know, for, for reasons, you know, maybe some of them within their control and some of them outside of it, were just sort of lacking from, from time to time. I can see that. It was just, it's also feel like George Lani didn't really play because that's all I said. I remember last year specifically, hey, if George Lani plays, they probably can beat San Jose State. He doesn't mm-hmm. play. He leads the team in rushing that game with 26 yards, Andrew Van Buren. They lose the game. Yeah. So 
there's a couple weird things, but new head coach, clearly Andy Alvarez taken over for this season. So because Brian Harson, if you've been under a bus out in Auburn now, taking mm-hmm. that job because he gets to he could choose to upgrade to a bigger conference, but Boise State cannot. So War War Eagle, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, Aggies almost beat Cam Newton, so that's my or the defending champ. So there's that too. There you go. But that's a better way to put it. But they play. They're playing this. Well, I don't know. What I'm getting that, but they this year new head coach Alvos comes to Oregon, where he was a DC before Boise State, like you said, the old DC guy in charge. When he's at Oregon, they went to uh, I think they two Rose Bowls with him as assistant coach. Uh, did they? They beat I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember off the top of my head. I just remember there was beat, the, the the blowout a couple of years ago at the Vegas Bowl. Yeah, there's that. They beat. Because remember they beat University of Utah. Utah would have won. They would have been in a playoff in 2019. Mm-hmm. They technically won the champ. Remember this past year, which whatever they're ranked 25th or something, they win and they can't play the title game or they get the back doorway in. But again, last year doesn't count. But mm-hmm. Andy Alvarez, like your defense is usually pretty good. And the Pac-12 is kind of tough because there's a lot of offenses out there. But this higher. We've talked about it a million times before in other shows and written stuff. It's the best move they can make because every move Boise State's made, who's been a former assistant in the past handful of years, has been really good. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect it to. The only difference this time is defensive guy, to the offensive guy, or other way, I'm sorry, offensive defense. So I don't expect much to drop off, but there are a lot of questions we'll get to. Head coach, not a concern. Is his first time head coaching, but do you have any concerns with him taking over as he's pertaining to getting ready for this year? Nothing that's nothing that seems really pressing. I mean, obviously, there's some of the position unit questions that they'll have to address, you know, going into ball camp, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But I think you know what's what's more important is who we brought in as the offensive coordinator, who we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Tim Plough mm-hmm. from uh, Montana State, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Uh, I'll double check. It sounds right. All right. It's not Montana. Montana. I believe it's Montana State. <laughs> um, but you know, he he brings in sort of a different look offense than what we've been accustomed to seeing in the Harson years where it's uh, it, you, you steeped more and like more spread um, you know more options in the passing game and when you look back at last year kind of going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about you know things that were sort of lacking you know yeah if you just look at the raw numbers and see that Boise State averaged 33 points a game Athlon had a really interesting stat that I think is sort of telling which was that six of the touchdowns that they scored last year six out of 31 were actually scored by either special teams or defense. And that was the, that was number one in the country. And so like, if you're talking about removing like one offensive score a game, you know, now all of a sudden you're not looking at, a, at an offense that led the pack. It's you're looking at an offense that's a lot closer to the middle and, and maybe more case in point, Boise state last year on a per play basis had their worst overall performance uh, in, in their Mountain West tenure. You know, they only averaged 5.42 points per or yards per play. And, and that ranked seventh overall in the Mountain West, if you're, if you're looking to get a little bit of context. Like for, for the sake of context, New Mexico and Wyoming both outgained Boise State on a play per play basis, which is not the kind of thing that you would expect to talk about when you talk about a Broncos offense. And so, you know, I think, you know, Plow's higher, what he's able to do you know, not only with the components that are coming back, because obviously he's starting with a with maybe a better base of talent than anybody else in the conference, but you know how they address some of last. If you look at what they were able to accomplish as far as yards per play, 
you know, they were seventh overall in the Mountain West. You know, their their 5.42 yards per play was actually the worst such figure since they joined the Mountain West. Yikes. And it wasn't particularly close. And, and even if you look at like other, you know, metrics by like, you know, available yards per drive, this was a below average offense last year. And so I think, you know, you start looking at those kinds of things and you realize like on a per play basis, both Wyoming and New Mexico outgained the Broncos. And that's not the kind of thing that you would typically associate with the Broncos offense. And that's why I think that, you know, plow as the offensive coordinator, what he decides to do to kind of, you know, marry the personnel that he's inheriting, which, you know, as, as always, you know, Boise State is starting with a much better base than just about anybody else in the conference, but you know, what he does to bring out the best in the personnel that he's got to work with, is going to go a long way towards determining how far this team can go. Also, really quick, Tim Plow, UC Davis. Oh, what's it, UC Davis? It's <sighs> Dan Hawkins. It's the summer. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> that's my we're excuse. All in, it's our preseason, man, right? Yeah. We're still, we're still figuring a couple I'm rounding my way into form, too. I apologize. Yeah. It, it happens. It happens to be more than you, but we're all good. But <laughs> what we're getting at is all the stuff this past year, like – all the changes and things. And that's why you mentioned that what his offense can do. It's going to be quite different. And, and part of the reason the offense sputter was Jack Sears came in, Hank Buckmeyer, they rotated due to injury contact tracing. Andrew Van Buren played a lot more than George Lonnie. So the offense was never its full strength, which makes perfect sense for those numbers. You rattle off. Yeah. Uh, their production was kind of a step behind or one of the worst since joining the league. So that's, if that gets short up and the, you, We'll get to QBs in a minute, but that's still a jumbled mess we don't know about. But I, I kind of said before, if they have, like, even last year and even probably randomly in the offseason, if you had a constant running game with George Lani, they're going to be okay. And the quarterback play, I'm not going to – it's going to be good. It's it's What we've seen from both guys, it would be good. It just depends who's going to do it, I think. And if they split, which I'm not a fan of, but it, it's going to be fine regardless who it is, I think. It's just the – I think the ground game is the most important thing. They lose like guys like – couple receivers off the NFL, but it's a ground game that's going to lead the team this year, I think. So, so if, if it were you making the choice as to who was going to be QB1, would it be Bachmeyer or Hank would it Bachmeyer. be Sears? Hank Bachmeyer. Because I'm, I'm with you. What, what's the question? I don't understand. That's a dumb – no, I get your point, but I'm like, that's a dumb question, but I don't get why that is a question or why that's a thing. Unless it's a manufacturer fake QB competition, which I would put good money on. I mean, I, I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, if, if you if you look at it objectively, Boise State's got a, a better one-two combination than, you know, any other team in the conference, which is a really good starting point. <laughs> Wyoming would like a word with you, please. No, 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 no. This is not a conversation. I'm, I said a word. I'm, I, there are two creepies. Come on. Yeah, I'm just saying. But, like, I think on the, on the aggregate, Bachmeyer and Sears put together have more yeah. upside, more talent. Than, than the Wyoming duo of, of Chambers and Levi Williams, which we'll, we'll talk about at some point there in the summer. But I think, you know, to, to kind of emphasize the point, if you look at what Bachmeyer did on a game-to-game basis, yeah, you missed a couple of, of their most important games, you know, at Air Force, home versus BYU. Mm-hmm. But he was he was pretty good overall otherwise. And, and maybe you want to adjust a little bit for like opponents or whatever. And you do, I think, barely have to ding him a little bit for underperforming in the, in the title game against San Jose state. But, you know, you're still talking about a guy who was, you know, 
basically had a, had a six to two touchdown to interception ratio, still completed over 60% of his passes, still averaged about seven and a half yards per attempt. While he wasn't necessarily on the same level as, as other quarterbacks in the conference last year, I think it's still, the upside is still very apparent, I guess is what I'm saying overall with Bob. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's why I'm with you where like, I don't, I mean, I can see where it makes sense to make sure that both guys are prepared, especially since, you know, Bachmeyer has had a, a history where I think Bill Connolly was the one who pointed out that he's missed eight of 21 games over the last two seasons, which is not insignificant. Well, also a couple of last year weren't his fault, I would say. Totally. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, some of it was injury related. Some of it wasn't necessarily. It was more contact tracing related, things like mm-hmm. that. But while the upside is still there, obviously, I think it makes sense that they would want Sears to be prepared to step in because when his number was called upon, uh, in that Air Force game in particular, he stepped up and he responded. He was able to operate that offense. And I think that that is more of what you're looking for as a Broncos fan if you're looking ahead to 2021, is you're looking for Bachmeyer to stay healthy, first and foremost, I would say. You know, yeah. You're looking for him to be you know, efficient through the air, you know, generating more explosive plays through the air. And then if, knock on wood, he does get banged up and has to miss a game or two, that Sears can step right in and the offense won't necessarily miss a beat. There's also something to be said, new head coach, I want my guy in there. Yeah. So I bet that that with Avalos, that has a bunch to do with it, Tim Plow. Like, mm-hmm. who can run my offense? And I like to run at FCS level. So I, I get why. I, well, if you if you put your coaching hat on or think of that prospect or look at, think of that direction, it makes 100% sense. Like, we want, it's also, we don't want to give away stupid secrets that are really stupid secrets because it's college football and dumb sport we like. Mm-hmm. But it's also preparing to keep your guys, like you said, ready to play. But also, it's new coach warning this guy. But also, it's like, well, Let's just not let everything out of the bag. But I just think it's – people can argue this on Twitter. They do all the time. Even our DMs with our buddies is like, I don't see this as being a close case because you're right. Like, remember Hank Buckmore started game one at Florida State and beat the beat the Seminoles, mm-hmm. right? Like, who, who – yeah, Florida State hasn't been amazing, but still a good program, pretty good program. We got good, good athletes, good talent. They came from behind to beat them. It's like, yeah. that's a pretty big deal. And so it's like, well, maybe this guy – USC will want to be a quarterback because he went to USC. It's like, no, have a stupid spring battle or fall battle now, I guess, for a week. You're going to name a st- well, it's UCF opener, but typically these guys want to have their co- here's what I say coaches will know their starter 10 days out. Mm-hmm. So they have a week plus to prepare. It's, I would bet basically anything that's going to be Hank Bachmar starting, taking the first snap. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I don't. Do you have a? Can you make a counter argument to why you want? Would Jack Sears be QB one? Pedigree. I think from, if you're if you going to, well, because he's a, he's a what former four or five star recruit from USC. Yeah, and I think you know I think it's it's readily apparent that like you know in even when it comes to game action, like he's got the tools to lead the offense, and so like like I said, I can understand why they would want to make it a competition. I just think like if I were a head coach, I would want to make a definitive statement that like, you know, we have a guy who has started the majority of the last two years. This is our guy until further notice. And Hank Buckmar also forced our quarterback. So yeah. Not so there you, you go. In general, just in general, not to you. That farts out. <laughs> no, I get so much here. Yeah, but you know, to get my points, like he's also forced our guy. It's, a, <clears> it's here's my prediction. What will happen? It's going to be stupid. Montel Cozart again. Where they're going to try to rotate? So. Because, 
You don't think so? No, because because Kozar was more of a changeup for Brett yeah. Rippon than than Sears would be for for Bachmeyer. They're both, I think, generally tend towards being more pocket based. You know, willing to st- you know stay in the pocket, take a hit, and, and try to make a big play. Then you know, Kozart, who was a little more mobile, and and you know, I don't think you're necessarily going to see you know Sears kind of you know rolling out and making a lot of plays that they don't necessarily need him to. They shouldn't. I, I think they just, I just want him to. I think they just want him to like find the open man and make and, and make the right throw. I just have a gut feeling, but but also if you're in the envelope, why do you want to be sneaky and weird and tricky about two QBs when he didn't? They'd never really done an Oregon except for a touch last year, kind of when they had the young guy over mm-hmm. there trying to take over when Justin Herbert was gone and NFL figuring their guy out. But it's I like I said, like I'd bet nearly anything. Bring it to me. I don't care on Twitter. Say throw me something at me. I'll. I'll do it. It's going to be Bachmeyer. There's no reason. Nothing's convinced me that Jack Sears, Jack Sears is good. Well, I'm not going to say that, that he's good enough, but that he should be the starter. Nothing. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so running back. And also, let me ask you this too. I'm looking at like Athlon Magazine, just because that's what I've out there. Or not Athlon, what is it? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Sorry, Athlon, they're a preseason all Mountain West. There's a reason Hank Bachmar is the if it was, if they felt it was a truly competition, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be a, on the one of the all all conference teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have Carson Strong, obviously, uh, Nick Starkle, Jay Kaner, uh, like I, th- there's other quarterbacks that could be in the mix, like Shavon Cordero could be in the mix, mm-hmm. as good as Bachmeyer for stat numbers. You could look at uh, man, might be the only other one, depending whoever Air Force is, but it's a completely different beast for quarterback. But I could see him being almost not middle of the pack, but I don't think I don't think the QB situation Boise is going to lend himself to be winning player of the year or second team. But there is clearly Bachmeyer is in the top half by far, maybe top third. Yeah. But I think he's still a step behind a Starkle, Strong, and uh, Jake Hayner. And I don't think it's that close. Mm-hmm. No, I would definitely agree with that. All right, so what do we got for running back? We already mentioned our with George Lonnie. Just give him the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think getting him back is definitely going to be a boost for the entire unit because, you know, he was, he only started like what, one or two games last year before he was knocked out. Very few, but he's, yeah, I think, actually, I think the most important position on this offense. Yeah. And, and in his stead, Andrew Van Buren, who, you know, he, I believe he's back. I know he's, and I know he's listed on the, on the 2021 spring roster, but you know, he had a couple of moments, but he, it was pretty clear he wasn't as explosive as Halani was. Like, you know, he led the team in rushing 382 yards. Whatever. Under three and a half yards per carry, though. Yeah, there we go. That's what I'm looking at. No. And, and, and the guys behind him on the depth chart who saw a little bit of run, you know, like Danny Smith only had 12 carries. He, he basically averaged about three yards a carry, too. Like, it got to the point where they were trying to find any excuse to get the ball into Kalush Kier's hands. And I think, you know, Holani coming back with a clean slate of health is going to do a lot to resolve those problems because, you know, if, if they don't necessarily have to be as one dimensional or as plodding on the ground as they were last year, 
uh, it's going to open up opportunities for everybody else on the offense. Yeah, and then, and that doesn't even that doesn't even account too that the, that they also brought in a transfer from Oregon, Cyrus Habibi Lakia, and so maybe you're looking at a situation where they don't necessarily need Holani to be a bell cow. Like they can set up one of those guys to be maybe a closer of some kind, or you know a short yardage back, or you know a, tr a trio of, of options is a lot better, I think, than putting you know all the majority or nearly all of your eggs in one basket. Because I think once Holani went down. You know, yeah, Van Buren scored eight touchdowns, but they they had a really hard time, I think, on the, on the whole, replacing that level of production he gave them a couple of years ago. And we'll see with Paul's offense, like he wants to have tempo and be aggressive out there. Mm -hmm. So that could be the depth in there where you still want to be efficient, but are they going to give that up for big plays? Like that's uh, it's it's Solani or bust almost for them. Oregon transfer Van Buren depth is good, but even if they tone the carries down a touch, he's still going to have. What 80 like 75 percent of the carries? Like, if they go, if he gets 18, your next guy should have maybe 10 at most, right? Eight, 10, and six, five, or something, something like that. Yeah, that's what it should be. And because he's he's a proven guy, he doesn't need 20, he's not going to be McNichols back there or Doug Martin or whoever to get 37 carries a game, or like even oh, shoot, what's his name with the Vikings now? Um, Dal Alexander Madison, yeah, sorry, I want to say Dalvin Cook is back up. Alexander Madison, who fourth quarter beast come over and crush you over because he didn't. Play trying to get 20 carries in the period. There's not the guys to have, but the production can eventually maybe be that. So we'll I see would, how it goes. But I would guess they probably want a Holani to have somewhere between like 17 and 20 touches a game because it, in 2019, as a freshman, he was averaging uh, like uh, somewhere between 13 and 14. And then he was yeah. also averaging a couple of receptions per game as well. Um, and I think that, you know, that that is another element of that offense that they really missed last year because Van Buren wasn't the same kind of pass catcher as Holani was either. Um, so, I mean, that, but like I said, I think that that doesn't necessarily have to happen though, in order for the offense to be successful, especially if, if Van Buren can be like a guy who just pushes the pile, moves the chains every so often in short yardage situations, power success rate, things like that. Or, you know, if, if uh, Habibi Lakio can be that same kind of guy to, to just like step in and, and, you know, for a handful of plays at a time to keep, Holani fresh, maybe for like red zone opportunities or something like that. That's sort of like this. The running back should running game should be like top four in the conference. Like production wise, probably behind Air Force, behind Fresno, behind Wyoming, probably San Diego State, depending on Greg Pell's health, but probably probably behind them. If they're top four or five, that's good enough. Like if the there's a lot of combinations. Like we're gonna, we go through this. Boise's probably gonna be pretty good. Projected to probably be the win the Mountain Division because I don't think it's that tough. But which means you don't have to be amazing all these different stats, statistical categories. Like I don't think they'll be the best rushing team, but they'll be it'll be close and they'll be probably that second tier. Like I don't <laughs> think they're any they're not very close to Fresno State, in my opinion. They're not close to Wyoming. Air Force will just do what they want to do. If San Diego State's healthy, Greg Bell, Nevada's fine with Toatala, but they're kind of in that range, I think, like middle upper pack. And I think the other thing that'll help too is the fact that, you know, I think other than Nick Crabtree, every guy who saw a substantial playing time on the offensive line last year is also returning. And you're, and you're talking about a couple of guys who have like all conference potential in them. John yeah. Jukua at left tackle, Jake Stetz at right guard, you know, and, and Stetz in particular is maybe one of those underappreciated guys we should be talking more about. As, as far as like you know, some of the better offensive linemen in the, in the conference. And I think even among, you know, you know even replacing Crabtree, they have uh, Uzo Suji, who was a transfer from Rice, I believe, last year. 
uh, he started the last couple of games of the year. So it's not like he's coming in cold into a starting job. And behind them, you know, you've got other guys who've seen some playing time as well, like Dante Harrington could be a rotation guy, Dallas Holiday yeah. could be a rotation guy. Upperclassmen guys, yeah. And that, do, yeah, and that, account, that doesn't account for the fact that, you know, yeah, the running game and the running backs in particular had their struggles, but I think the offensive line was okay, given the circumstances. You know, I mentioned power success rate a, a, a minute ago, and Boise State was actually eighth in the country on offense in that regard, 86%, essentially. And they were right around the national average as far as sack rate allowed as well, um, which I think considering the, the quarterback shuffle that they had to go through last year is a, I would say it's a net win for them. And so you're, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at, at an offensive line that's one of the more experienced in the conference. And I think that, you know, that is another kind of indicator that to me trends, it bodes very well for their ability to trend upward or, or rebound from where they were last year. Yeah, the experience four starters is back, but it's that's why it's great to have George Tawney back because Van Buren behind a pretty good offense line wasn't good. So he was okay. All, yeah, three something average. Come on, three point two a carry. No, no. I mean, I think I think it's also worth noting too. Like, yeah, you know, the, the the yards per carry average isn't great, but the team, you know, and this is including Holani and Van Buren and everybody else who carried the football last year. They were they were thir- they were in the top forty in terms of stuff rate too last year as well. That's so awesome. like yeah, they weren't getting a lot of explosive plays on the ground, but they also weren't getting pushed backwards, which is just as important. Well, my point being, Van Buren should have been better because of the line, not that the line was holding him back. Mm-hmm. So that's more of a running back thing than offensive line thing. Yeah, like, it, it'll, that, that's yeah. I wasn't just break down like well, if they're that good, well maybe you should have got to at least four point two a carry or something realistic and and just acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, if mm, them being possibly better, it all comes down to like what Tim Plow runs. That's what are they? It's going to kind of the scheme change a bit, kind of air raid passing a bit more. Which you said their sack rates was good. Their prote- protection was well. They the b- guys who were good who ran the ball when they were good were doing well. So this might be their strongest unit because QB. The only reason I wouldn't say that because if they're still jerking around, who's going to start? That's the only thing where it's, that could be something because not to step back there too much, but like I mentioned, oh, maybe they'll play both. Maybe they're just uh, – if you stumble, you get in the play. It could be that situation, which is also pretty crappy. But the line's going to be the most stable position out there, and it's dumb cliche. If the line's good, everything's going to be much better around it. But that's true And what they have coming back and what's returning. If this goes well, you have Holani back there, runs the ball well. Quarterback plays pretty good. Like everything's well above average. The offensive line is their best. I think their best unit overall. Mm-hmm. It help them the most for their success. Yeah, and I mean, I think if there's if there's one pressing question that I have about this offense's ceiling, is what are they going to do beyond Khalil Shakir in the passing game? Yeah, who's going to catch the freaking ball for them, Matt? Because and because I, and I put this out there. I can't remember if we brought this up on the podcast. I know I put it out there on on Twitter before the title game last December. But I was I went through and I looked up the number of targets that that Khalil Shakir had just because I saw he was really running away with things as far as you know receptions and and, yard, and receiving yards and touchdowns and everything like that. And I remember putting it out there that he had more than two and a half times more targets than the next leading receiver on the team, which was C.T. Thomas. I don't know that they're going to be able to get away with that again. And that's no, that's no knock against Khalil Shakir, who is probably one of the best receivers anywhere in the country, totally. you know, because, you know, two years running, 
you know, he moved, he, you know, they, they found ways to move him around pretty much everywhere in the offense. Like, you know, two years ago, he was like a slot guy. And last year, he was doing pretty much everything and, and defenses had a really hard time stopping him, even though they knew that the ball was going to be going to him more often than not. But to me, the big question of Portland's offense is, okay, well, is, is this the year that C.T. Thomas finally has his coming out party? Because... I mean, and I don't know if I'm maybe being too harsh because like, you know, a couple of years ago, 2019, you know, he did have 41 catches. He had over 500 yards, five touchdowns. And last year, even though he only had 20 receptions, he did average over 17 yards a catch, which is not nothing. But is that enough to be like the second option that this offense is really going to need? It's going to have to because Tim Plow is going to go three to five deep passing the ball. And then, and then beyond that, like if this is an offense that wants to figure out how to spread the ball around, like is this the year that Octavius Evans finally takes a big step forward? Are we going to see more from some of these young, highly touted receivers like, you know, Billy Bowens or yeah. or, or Stephen Cobbs or, or maybe even, you know, Caden Dudley or someone like that? You know, they've got guys, I think, who can step up and contribute. And, and this doesn't even get into the tight end situation where Riley mm-hmm. Smith, I think, because he seems like, you know, even if he's not going to be a, a primary option, I think he did more than enough to acquit himself as a as a viable receiving option last year. But but well, long story long story short, they yeah, need yeah. more than Shakir, and I I think it's still sort of an open question as to what that's going to look like on well, this offense too, because they want to throw it. Move. If it's going to be successful, you can't have a one or two receiving punch and a running back doing a couple like Will Routes or something swinging out of the backfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think you're going to be able to get away with it week in and week out. No, no, especially with what they want to run. It's going to be clunky and awkward and focusing on one guy. If you're running four receivers, but you're always throwing to, you know, I mean, to one, one or two guys at most. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention some of the other, some of the other underclassmen they have going, you know, coming in. I, I would assume into more prominent roles like you know, Latrell Cables is another guy. Yeah. Um, you know, Shea Whiting, guys like that who are you know former three, four star guys. They're going to need at least one of those two, one or two of those, you know, six or seven names I just mentioned to step up and be like, uh, I'm trying to think of a number two receiver from years past. Like the, you know, the, the, the Thomas Spurback or the Cedric Wilson yeah. type of guy or the AJ Richardson, let's say. That's probably, probably better. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I think that that's the kind of production that they're going to need in order for this offense to really be able to, to hit its ceiling. I agree. The receiver group is the most uh, is the most concerning for the offense. Which is not to say that it doesn't have potential, but it's no, it's no. definitely it's definitely the part of the offense that has the most proven to them. I guess I would say that. No, that's one hundred percent we're getting at. So yeah, that's the most proven thing. And if and they already have a proven guy, so it's not like there's a, a far ways to go to where they oh we need to do all these different things. They just need to do probably a couple of things here there to be good. And it goes back to if you're switching quarterbacks, if you're sticking with Sears or Bachmeyer. It goes all to that offensive line will protect them. Running running game we know is good. It's just a unit where TBD at the moment, and we'll, they'll figure it out. And they typically history says, yeah, they'll figure it out and be fine. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for defense? Yeah, let's do it. So if Andy Avalos coming over from Oregon, who had a pretty good defense, it's hard to when you look at raw numbers, especially in the Pac-12 for what they do offensively a bit. It's a little uh, not misleading, but it's not always. It's like the Big Twelve your defensive coordinator to a smaller degree. Mm-hmm. Because there's teams like USC scores. You have different offenses. Like, look what Stanford does. Look what Utah does. They'll run the ball a lot. Arizona State wants to throw and pass the ball a lot. 
years ago when Arizona had good players under a Kevin Sullivan, they'd want to score points. Mm-hmm. So, but Avalos, people know him from before Boy State. Like he had a top 20 offense or top 25 offense in 2019. So I'm not doing last year because what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes look at that. But the Oregon's defense was really, because I remember specifically the 2019, 2019 team, they, when they played Utah in the universe in the, not in the, if I could speak, the title game, Oregon was a top, Everybody goes, oh, Utah's defense, it's so good. It's amazing. It's actually Oregon's defense that was really, really good. Mm-hmm. It kind of stopped what Utah's doing all year when they had a really, when they had future NFL or Zach Moss running the ball for them and couldn't do much at all. So we, we kind of we know he has he could step it up. He's done it at a big level because he did at Boise State, did it at Oregon. Him coming back, yeah, he's not to DC, but stuff he learned in the Pac 12 is going to come back and help them. And the defense, and it's also too, it's like when you think of Boise, it's like, oh, it's always offense. Not always, man. The past not always. No, the past handful of years, defense has been not carrying the team, but has been the overall better unit the, the past five or so years, probably more often than not, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, guys like Curtis Weaver and Leighton, Leighton Vander Esch would want a word about that. That's yeah, assertion. totally. Yeah, there's plenty of guys. Like, even a couple years ago, they were, like, top three in that character for play. Like, they are typically the best, one of the – it's usually Aztecs, Wyoming – and that's like, ah, it's like that. But usually Boise State's very close to that group. Step yeah. behind, but still close. And what what's going on for this year, it's always – because wasn't last year the defensive line that one of the positions that where they probably had to stop playing games just because of the injury aspect and COVID contact? Yeah, the they, had, they had a lot of injuries. You know, Dimitri Washington got hurt. Scala Gahion got hurt. Keegan Freeborn got hurt. I, I'm, I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Sam Whitney got hurt. Sure, I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're you're talking about like like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different guys that saw you know at least one start at at some point last year, and I think all of those guys are coming back. And so I I, I mean other than Pretty Whitney, much. I believe is I believe Whitney's the only one who's not coming back. He's not. Shane Irwin's taking that spot. Yeah, and so you know all of a sudden you look up front and like yeah they had a rash of injuries especially on the defensive line last year but the defense was still pretty good despite that you know they were top 40 as far as line yards allowed per carry they were you know top 50 in power success rate top 30 in stuff rate allowed and in terms of you know defensive sack rate they were 30th in the country you know the sack rate is shade under eight percent you know so with all the shuffling it's really a, a, a testament to you know uh, jeff schmetting and, and spencer daniels and who's you know, assume, assuming full-time, you know, you know, solo DC responsibilities at this point, that they were able to kind of keep it together and, you know, be, you know, like, I don't know, for example, the, the, the Mountain West's number one stingiest third down defense, things like that. Not to say that, you know, they don't have questions to resolve, but I think, you know, starting up front with the defensive line, all of those guys are coming back other than Whitney and, you know, even if they do, you know, suffer, you know, a significant injury or two, I think they're in much better shape to weather that storm this time around because, you know, everybody who got kind of thrown into the mix last year, now they have playing experience. And, you know, that's, I think, more than you could have said at this time last year. I cannot add anything else because you're correct on that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why, why speak in circles when we know what the real deal is? So, yeah, I mean, I think, and to kind of throw one last point in there, I think the, you know, the upside to having so much depth is 
you know, I mentioned Curtis Weaver a minute ago. They don't really, I don't know if they necessarily need a Curtis Weaver type impact player to be disruptive. Cause you know, I think you go down the line, you know, Shane Irwin led the team with six sacks, but you could see a situation I think where, you know, a number of guys end up with somewhere between three and seven sacks or something like that. You know, maybe Dimitri Washington is the guy who, you know, if he's able to stay healthy all year long, you know, has a breakout campaign that I think a lot of us were looking forward to last year from the edge. Yeah, like Scale Gahion could be a guy too. Could be up there yeah. as well. That we had high hopes last year for him. So it, it's going to be a great unit. It's just one guy replacement. And we'll go to linebacker. They bring basically everybody back who's supposed mm-hmm. to be starting. Like you mentioned, Dimitri Washington's kind of a, I don't know what they call it. They run the 3 4 kind of edge. He's hybrid kind of type deal. But they have like Ezekiel Noah, you have Riley Wimpy. Like that's all experienced upperclassmen guys. And it's typically the linebacker. Oh, I know Weaver was up front. But like Leighton Vander Esch and multiple linebackers before him are typically like the star position is defense. Yeah. And like I, I want to lean to Wimby to be that guy. I think he probably should be on the weak side there, but it's going to be, you know, where they're going to attack the quarterback, get the sacks. And with all the uh, defense, like you mentioned, all the defensive line experience, it all kind of it builds up because I don't care if my defensive line gets all these TFLs or whatever. I want them to take up two guys so my linebacker can just slide through and crush you in the face. In mm. <laughs> line. And that's, I think, how it'll open up because offensive lines aren't really going to be able to double or or shouldn't want to double any defense lineman because the linebacker comes through. But if you leave the linebacker to, oh, we'll bring a tight end or block us coverage that way, well, the defense line can still get in there and do the thing. So it's kind of like a pick-your-poison type thing on here. But I think what, like, what they're going to want to do and what they can typically do, yeah, I don't – like we say D-line's good. I think linebacker's even better for all these guys coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think linebacker is definitely more effective or more impactful at the top. I think the question is, you know, you're, you're also talking about a pair of guys with a, at least some injury history in yeah. being Noah. And so, like, if one of those guys gets knocked out for any duration of time, then what are you going to get from the guys behind them? You know, guys like Brock Miller or Brandon Hawkins or, or guys like that. You know, are you, you, you going to get, like, 60% of what Wimpy or Noah could provide or are you going to get, like, 80 or 90%? And so I think... Obviously, you don't necessarily want to you don't want to see injuries happen, but I think if they do at that position, then you know it could be a potential hindrance. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, a couple of those guys are overclassmen, like Brock Miller, a senior. You'd hope those guys have enough playing time and experience to come out and hey, we're not the starter, but we'll do fine. Like when Brain yeah. Hawkins has to play, because they'll play. That's one thing too. It's 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 depth questionable we'll see but it's not like you're being backed up by a retro freshman or, or sophomores barely played yeah these are guys out there seeing the field so that that should level off any concern people have like well what if this guy gets hurt it's like you mentioned wimpy injury concerns playing fewer games in typical or what has been the typical season you're good but i still want my best guys out there right you mm-hmm. don't want to rely on them but if they're in here there and maybe it's a game or something or injury wise i think they'll be just like not great, but they'll they'll be just fine to quit themselves. And again, that comes back to if your defense line's good or your secondary is really good, it can kind of cover a couple of things. If there's an injury issue, and you're playing somebody's not typically out there. Mm. Anything else that linebacker like that's solid? You know, like the, I don't know, like it's just starters going to go play, right? Is that what all this? Throw them out yeah, there. And go, uh, oh, I would say so. Yeah. There's not much to get. So DBs, this is a unit you know, also. It's like. Look at all the NFL guys they've had the past years in that linebacker, defensive line, secondary. 
they it's not like one position where it's always great. Like on offense, it's always running back, mm-hmm. um, kind of receiver, maybe a lineman, rarely quarterback. Like Burt Ripon's like the last guy I've been around for a while. I guess um, also, oh, they're going to kill me, Kellen Moore. <laughs> I was going to space on him. He's out there do, used to doing stuff with the Cowboys where he's not coach. But the secondary, they they have what the five they put the five guys back there typically. Typically, yeah. Is, is there an offense defense really a three three five? Or they just kind of pretend it'd be a fake three three five. Would it would it be uh, would it be cliche to say it is multiple? If you want to, multiple is whatever we want it to mean. <laughs> multiple is like, hey, two four five. There we go. Right, something like that because. Because here's how the depth charts listed: two corners, a boundary, and two safeties. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so like, what is uh, Marco Reed? Is he, he's a real cornerback, but the north boundary guy is like uh, Kekala Kanio, Kanijo. So it's like, is he a kind of linebacker? Is he kind of like what Trey Thompson does for San Diego State, kind of the in-between guy? I think what this does for most teams that do this, you just want, I think it's just speed out there on the defense. Yeah. Because if you're a guy who can play linebacker or DB, guard a tight end or receiver – you're really versatile. You can blitz. And that's where, T, like you mentioned, the cliche, multiple stuff. But you can do the resist. You can do a lot of different things attacking the quarterback or attacking mm-hmm. a certain part of the field. And they bring three starters back in that area. Like you have Skinner, Tyreek Jones. Um, uh, sorry, can you know I already mentioned? But everybody else, like upper class, they have a couple upper class of backups. They have a couple of freshmen, which is interesting because you never know, like with like, guys like Jalen Carker, Sam, Sam G. I can't read my writing here, Werner. Yeah, that's right. That's that's correct. I wrote something where I can't see. But the unit overall, when you watch what Boise State does, they play – and numbers can be deceiving when they play teams like Nevada, when they play teams that that throw the ball a lot in the conference, like when they're playing – like Utah State tries to throw, but they weren't very good last year, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the way that I kind of want to look at. Like, look at who they play this year. They get UCF, they probably throw the ball well. Oklahoma State, maybe you – know, the Utah State, not very good. Nevada, yes. BYU, probably yes, despite having really good running games. Um, Fresno, a ton. Wyoming wants to throw the ball. So they're going to be tested enough this year to have to want them to be against. They wanted to win them out of the division, which I think is super wide open. This unit can be just fine and not a concern because when you look at division play, nobody scares me throwing the ball in, the, in that division. Wyoming wants to, but I'm still not going to believe it until I see it. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know the other thing too. If you know, if you're looking at who the Broncos are returning, pretty much all of you know the significant portion of their experience in the defensive backfield is back at safety. Yes. So I think in that regard, they are set. GL Skinner is is very good. Tyree Jones is very good. You know, Kenijo is a guy who can move around. He's he's basically been one of the best defensive players in the conference for like three years straight now. Seven breakups so, last year. So they're Amazing. they're pretty much set on the back end. The question for me is, what are they going to do at cornerback? Because again, it's not like they don't have options, but you know, replacing both Avery Williams and Jalen Walker is going to be a tall task, especially since you know, uh, you know nobody, I believe, returning to the defensive backfield had more than three passes defended last year, other than Kaniho. And so, you know, that's where I started looking at this defense and seeing, okay, well, you know, Markel Reed seems likely to be one guy. Because he's, you know, he. I don't think he only started more than one or two games last year, um, but you know, he's had a lot of playing time over the last couple of years. He seems pretty much set. So then, who's who's the other guy going to be? Is it going to be a guy like Caleb Briggers from you know Bowling Green who transferred in? 
uh, or is it going to be Jalen Reed, who just came in from Utah State about a week ago before we recorded this? Uh, is it going to be a young guy like Jalen Clark? So, I mean, they've, or, or someone who's been around in the system but maybe hasn't seen quite as much like Tyreek LaBeouf. It's going to be really fascinating to see that competition play out in the fall, especially against, a, against like we've mentioned, the offense. You know, they're going to test them every single day on the practice field. And so, yeah, I think whoever is going to win that job, I think is going to be the guy who proves they can get their hands on the football. Because one thing I, I look at from last year is while they were number one as a unit in terms of like opponents completion percentage, they only had three interceptions as a unit last year. Did you realize that? Um, no, that's um, quite low. And what, what did they play seven games? Uh, yes. Hmm. No, that's, that's, I figured about five or six at least in that amount of games, almost one a game, but three is a criminally low for what they typically want to do. So I would imagine that they want Reed to be like maybe the guy to kind of spearhead that rebound as far as, you know, you know maybe generating more passes defended to create more tip drills or, or interception opportunities, for example. Um, or maybe, you know, someone like, you know, Kaonohi Kaniho, who is Kekaula's younger brother, you know, maybe he steps up and steals, you know, playing time in the cornerback rotation or, or, or LaBeouf or Damon Cole or, or any of these other guys who, again, long on promise. But, you know, if you're looking at one position on this side of the ball, it's got the prove it factor. It's definitely the cornerbacks. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense for what they're returning. So, yeah, and like we'll get their schedule, the who they line up against. They'll be periodically tested. Week one for sure. UTEP no. Yeah, that's the area I'm most concerned. I guess is it concerned or just intrigue of who's going to be there? I think it's a little bit more concerning than intrigue. A little bit. I mean, I think it's it's less about you know kind of sorting out the entire unit, but I think the the really important thing is finding that second guy because I think Reed is probably going to be like the lead guy. But it's, you know, yeah, from, from that, from those three or four other names that I mentioned, like who's going to be the other guy on the outside? Because, you know, like, like you mentioned a minute ago, like nobody in the, in the division is necessarily going to seem overly threatening at first, but it doesn't mean they're not going to try. Oh, totally. They're going to try. Yeah. All right. Special teams, the forgotten unit by me half the time. Well, I mean, they're, they, they probably aren't going to score five special teams touchdowns anymore, are they? If they do... Go, do they have the same special teams coach as last year? If they do, that guy needs a promotion, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because I was did um, Avery Williams get a couple for CSU kick returns. Um, they have new guys, like he's not there. Probably CT Thomas returning kicks, Kalisha Shakir. Mm-hmm. They, they have explosiveness, explosiveness on oh, geez, explosiveness on that area. If I can speak tonight or today, because it's usually your best wide receiver back there. So that that unit's I think it touchdowns probably not. It's basically when I think it's special teams, and this is probably sad to say, just don't screw it up, guys. Especially the return guys. Don't fumble it. Don't lose the ball. Don't wave off a kick to let it go fifty yards when you could picked it up and kneeled it or stopped it somewhere. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think that, I don't think they're going to backslide a whole lot, but I think no, it's no, I'm, really hard for any one person to to do what Williams did. Yeah, it's not going to happen because he's so versatile, like blocking kicks, returning kicks. But it, it, it'll be fine. And the kicking game, they're going to have, I'm guessing, uh, what is it, Joel Vasquez? Or that's punter. I don't care about punters. Sorry, Ryan Stonehouse and others. Punters are awesome. Apologies. Well, Joel Vasquez was, was a little better last year. 
Still, still, still probably the biggest question mark anywhere on the special teams unit, but he did average over 40 yards a kick, which is you know, okay. better, better than you could have said from his last two, from the, from the previous two seasons. Yeah. And then as far as the kicking game is concerned, like, you know, Jonah Dalmas came in, and, you know, seven of eight on field goals, which is, you know, a pretty good showing for a freshman. Yeah. So it'll be fine. It'll be a good unit. I don't like to go too deep in there because it's good. It's cool. They're good. Good. You can't okay. pass or pass last year. So what's the point, right? Yeah. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Schedule, right? That's what we're doing. Let's do it. They open up at UCF Knights. Is it officially called the Stupid Bounce House? I thought that's a nickname. Yeah, I don't. I don't care what it's called. It's stupid. No, I just, no I'm looking at FBS schedules. They usually have like Albertson Stadiums, Maverick Stadium. Lavelle yes, Edward I believe Stadium. it is officially called the Bounce House. It was like Bright House Stadium or something like yeah. that, and then they. It's about, is that a brand bounce house? I'm not interested to see. I know no, what bounce I, houses are. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm just wondering. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just, no, nothing. Bright House Network Stadium, which is a mouthful to say. Yeah. They play UCF. The early odds have them down by 10 points, which uh, I think our buddy in our DM said it was like the last road, not road, but last double digit underdog was at Washington State where they nearly won in overtime. Where again, Montel Cozart, whatever his name is, the, the pitch, the shovel pass for touchdown, nightmares all the time for some reason. I always remember that. But UCF is projected probably what finished behind Cincinnati in their division. Do you have any understanding why they're a 10 point favorite? UCF is? That offense is loaded. Yeah? It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because every, everybody knows Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback. Yeah, and 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 they are they are losing their their top running back, but they did bring in I believe a pair of transfers. You know, Isaiah Bowser is coming in from Northwestern. You know, Mark Anthony Richards, uh, you know, came in from Auburn. You know, they have Bentavious Thompson, who you know had almost 400 yards and five touchdowns last year in limited playing time. So it's not like you know the 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 production that they're missing from graduations and stuff like that is going to be impossible to replace. And then, oh, by the way, they're also bringing back a guy of their own in Jalen Robinson, who was almost a thousand yard receiver in the, in the abbreviated season himself. Uh, so you're talking about on, on that side of the ball, like maybe on paper, the most explosive offense anywhere in the country. Well, so and like, their offensive line is hundred percent back too. that too. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the question for this game is, okay, we know what the offense is going to look like. But UCF's defense betrayed them a lot last year. You know, they gave up they gave up 50 yeah. points to Memphis. They gave up 34 to Tulsa. Yeah. You know, they gave up 36 to Cincinnati. They gave up 49 in the in the bowl game loss to BYU. 46 to USF. Yeah. 28 to a piss poor East Carolina team. And that was despite the fact I think they were number one. They were number they were number one in the American in turnover margin, and they were number five nationally, nice. plus twelve. So despite yes. all of that, they, they still lost four games. And, and oh, by the way, now this year they're going to be without Richie Grant. Yeah. Know, three-time all-conference first-team performer. You know, they've brought in transfers on that side of the ball as well. So it's not like they don't have the talent. But, you know, you're looking at that set, you're looking at that defense and thinking, okay, are they going to be able to make a stop or two? Like, are, you know, how, are they going to contain Khalil Shakir? Is anybody going to be able to do that in this game? And if they can't, then that's going to open up, you know, you know, where, you know, I think I could see 
this game coming down to, you know, first to 40 or something like that, where both Gabriel and Bachmeyer, you know, go over 400 yards and both have at least three touchdowns or something like that. Well, they also have new head coach and Gus. Yeah. Like, a, like that as well. And they and brought in a new offensive Hawaii. leader. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It would be the what, co-OC. Is that what they're doing there? Yeah. G.J. Cannon is uh, co-OCing yeah. with Tim Harris Jr. Okay. I knew, I knew G.J. Cannon offensively. But – so that's also something to think about. Malzahn's a good coach. Like where you say he did Auburn and whatnot, he beat Alabama a couple of times. I think three of eight when he was there, he did well. So it's a good coach also. So as for who's like a prediction, because it's two new coaches, defense is decimated from UCF. Offense is great, but I can't take, I want Boise State, Boise State to win. I'm going to say they're not going to lose by 10. I just don't know if they can get it done. Because if, if UCF is going to pass a ton, that's the one area where we thought Boise would be at their weakest, this pat DBs and CBs and stuff. Yeah, and, and, and UCF, like Boise, also recruits extremely well. So, like, even though we aren't watching them on a week-in, week-out basis, like, you sort of have to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to figure it out to some extent. And if nothing else, you know, when I, when I look at a game like this, I think, okay, what is the best unit on the field? And I think the best unit in this game is going to be UCF's offense. Totally. And that's why I have them winning this game. I think Boise can win. I think it would make it first to 40. It'd be like that because UCF defense is just not very good. Yeah. And maybe a couple other things. Um, all right. So they get a UTEP victory, right? That's almost an FCS game, correct? UTEP's, uh, they, got, they had some signs of life last year. Were you, were you aware, for example, that they won three games? They went three. Were they LS? Well, I was gonna say FCS, but they didn't play. I'm, I'm sorry. Two, two of them were FCS wins. I know this. I know that's what you were asking. They beat Stephen F. Austin. They beat Abilene Christian. They also beat Louisiana Monroe, who was a lousy last year. But you know, it's 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 a it's a program that's you know shown signs of life, which is more than you could have said like two or three years ago. So like, okay. obviously, still very much a work in progress. But, you know, they've got a, a very good running back, Deion Hawkins, who was a local kid from El Paso. You know, he had 600 yards and nine touchdowns last year. You know, I think the biggest question for them is, is getting more production from the passing game because, you know, they do have their incumbent quarterback coming back, Gavin Hardison. Um, but, you know, he, he was okay. He had five touchdowns, five interceptions. He completed about 60% of his passes. Not too bad. And they do have pieces on the defensive side of the ball as well. Like, you know, praise Amewule. I apologize if I butchered that. You know, he had seven sacks last year. So they've got some pieces. I, I still don't think it's going to be very close, though. But no, I just I, I, I wanted to at least have my, have, have my UTEP minute. My okay. minors minute, if you will. Your minors minute. All right. The next big game is Oklahoma State at home, who is a big 12 opponent, obviously. Um, there's not gonna, it's probably be an average Big 12 team, I'm guessing, because that's they typically are, right? They typically average across the board, and maybe with Gundy there, get some decent. They um, were they were eight and three last year, yeah, but they were not far away from being a little bit more because no. they had they had a one score loss at TCU and they had a one yeah. score loss, you know, at home against Texas in overtime. And that was despite the fact that they had a ton of injuries on both sides of the ball last year. No, I know. It's just uh, I'm going kind of by what they typically do. They've had some really good years. I was kind of half kidding there. But when they do have a guy, Jalen Warren, who came from Utah State. We'll see what he can do running the ball. He'll probably be their backup. But 
just like same with the offense really quick. They are bringing in a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. They are ha- or no 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 apologies I'm looking at the wrong thing. Spencer Sanders is going to be back. That's thinking of some other team. So they bring in a main quarterback there. It's like a mismatch of what's returning a receiver or two, an offensive lineman or two, um, new running back. It's it's kind of like oh, I got one super experienced guy. Offensive line has three guys returning typically, or no, they are. Excuse me. But what is Oklahoma State known for, Matt? They want to move the offense, right? So Gundy is he's allegedly an offensive coach, right? What I've been told. Yeah, they've actually been a little more. They've actually been just as stout on defense yeah, over the last couple of years, yeah. though. Like if you if you look at the preseason SP plus projections, for instance, you know I think it's sort of telling that you know Oklahoma State overall they're ranked 29th, right? But if you look at the split between offense and defense, on offense they're projected 49th. On defense they're projected 12th. Hmm. And that's because they, they've got some they've got some playmakers. You know, they've got, you know, like uh, I'm trying to <laughs> the name escapes me. Excuse me. Um, you know, they've got Malcolm Rodriguez at linebacker. They've got, you know, Kobe Harvell Peel, uh, you know, as a defensive back. You know, they're and obviously I think that the biggest story with them is the fact that they're replacing so many guys who went to the NFL. You know, like uh, you know, Tylon Wallace is gone, Chubba Hubbard is gone, uh, the offensive who was the offensive lineman's name that was picked in like the first or second round. Um, trying to remember I, Tevin Jenkins. Okay. So it's it's not like it's going to be a tall order to replace those guys, but you know this is a team that is that was pretty quietly very good. I think the question for them is is you know one how are they going to replace Hubbard? Who, yeah, he wasn't quite as good as he was last year as he was two years ago. You know how how are Desmond Jackson and LD Brown? You know both of whom averaged over five yards carry. How are they going to pick up the slack? And I think most importantly, how is Spencer Sanders, the quarterback, you know, is he going to be able to, you know, turn his, his crazy athleticism into more consistent production? Because, you know, he had over 2,000 yards in the air last year. He had 14 touchdowns and interceptions. But I think, you know, if you, if you were to ask a Cowboys fan, you would say, like, there's, there's still potential to be, uh, you know, unearthed at that position from Sanders. And so I think that the offense is going to be mm-hmm. really hard to stop, and I don't think you can overlook defense either. I guess is what I'm saying overall. Because the line right now, I think, is Oklahoma State like from four to six. I think it was. Mm-hmm. I think with, I don't know. This might be the most competitive game, most competitive game on the schedule. Like, I think both teams are equal in the same category arena. I think the UCF game a touch better than Boise. Arizona schedule is fine. This will be probably the most even amount of game. Right. Can the quarterback they lose a couple receivers? Can they be more efficient? Can they pick it up who's coming in, who's returning to run the offense properly? But I do think it's going to come down to Boise's offense versus the defense in this game. Like you may rattle off all those guys. I believe my if my math is right, was six, seven starters are back on this defense from last year, seven yeah. of eleven. Secondary style. Yeah, it's, every it's a position. veteran defense, and that doesn't even include Trace yeah. Ford, who missed most of last year with injury, I believe. Yeah. Mostly it's upperclassman guy and the guys that aren't returning, like are we new starters? It's typically one lineman, one linebacker, one DB. Mm. So it's not like a whole unit. So they're all balanced and returning just like cohesiveness, just one guy in there each. Having said that, I still think Boise State is going to win at home <laughs> because uh, Boise's offensive line is really good. I love George Solani. We know the quarterback situation is going to be fine regardless is there. The concern is, I guess, is the keeping pace, which comes back to the defense. No, I think Oklahoma State's going to win this one. Ooh. Do you have them start one and two? 
Yes. Okay. What about Utah State? Well, we talked about the Aggies already. And so if you listen to that podcast, uh, spoiler alert, you already knew I had Boise State winning that one. Obviously. What about Nevada? We've talked about them. Well, we talked about Nevada too. <laughs> I know. I'm just in there. Um, no, no. I, wait. Yeah, uh, wait. What did I pick here? Oh, that's my reason. Okay. I'm looking like, wait, what? I'm looking at my schedule here. We did. Let's get, we can talk a little about it because not every Boise State fan is going to listen to that one for Nevada because I think that's like the biggest game. So I was doing my um, – if you listened to me before, you heard what I said about Nevada mm-hmm. where – and we had a big kerfuffle in the chat with everybody, like our Boise guys. I'll say it again. What my reason for that? With this, Okay, Nevada, if you go back and listen, but if you didn't, what do you need to know? Carson Strong, great quarterback. Romeo Dubs. Um, the offense is going to be the best in the conference. I mentioned this because schedule plays a big part in me when you're picking winners and losers. Even we're sitting here in middle of June. The biggest thing for Nevada, go back to them, is their schedule. So I have Nevada winning this game, or losing, yeah, sorry, Nevada losing and Boise winning. But I don't, I, but I also said, and people give me flack, I don't know if I'm playing defense here, but I, I still think talent wise, overall, Nevada is much better. However, when Nevada's playing at Cal, at Kansas State, Idaho State, not Idaho State matters, but all these road games the first month of the season, that's an issue. That's difficult. And so that's my main reason why, why Boise is going to beat them. Yeah, it's, sort of, take- it's sort of interesting. The Wolfpack, like when you look at it like unit by unit, like they have the same sort of questions on defense, um, but they have fewer questions on offense, which is why I had the Wolfpack winning this game. I totally think they can. I'm just going off a schedule. Like I'm, I'm not going to be shocked. Like that's a clear toss up. I'm probably hedging anyways because I don't want to pick a team like go undefeated or lose just one game. It's really hard to do it. So, but talent wise, like Boise can win this because George Lani offensive line. I'm just going to come back to the defense for Boise to slow down Dubs and everything else. That's what mm-hmm. it's going to take to win this game, and we'll see if they can do it. So then get Air Force. We haven't talked about them yet. So we can. Wait, what about BYU? Here. Oh, my bad. I I thought I scrolled over them. Man, it's BYU. No kidding. We hey, we talked about last week. Uh, yeah, that's no. true. <laughs> um, just for BYU, it's still who's the quarterback? We don't know, but spoiler, it's going to be Romney. It's not going to be Jaron Hall. Come on, it's going to be him throwing the ball to. They lose like Dax Milne, really good receiver, draft the NFL. Um, they lost offense, a couple offensive linemen, one in the NFL. Brady Christensen, I believe, was picked up by somebody. But the big thing about this game is it's, it's rivalry game. Obviously, they. Don't like each other. They play. They're playing like two decades in a row or something. That huge contract they signed. Boise's more settled at the positions that matter because the strength on strength on offense are almost the same. Running back will be strength for most teams. Um, quarterback, I give the edge to Boise, even though technically right now, these my air quotes, they're deciding who the starting quarterback will be. Um, receiving group of touch better for Boise State, but even though it's on the road, I still think I'm I'm taking Broncos because I don't think BYU's defense is going to be able to withstand everything. And last year, not I'm not saying last year's a fluke at all, but they benefited from circumstances to play a schedule wasn't what they wanted to, and they took full advantage of it and, cr- and crushed everybody. Yeah, I'm on record as not being a Cougars believer this year, so yeah. I've got Boise State winning that one. Yeah, I did. I, I think it'd be fairly close. And last year's game was an anomaly because BYU was already still winning pretty handily. They just exploded late in that game with the tenth string quarterback for Boise State, and just it hurt them. It Whatever had they had Bachmeyer, they I don't think they still would have won, but it wouldn't have been a huge blowout. So I remember getting flack on that for Twitter last night. Like, well, if Bachmeyer played, I bet it'd be a little closer. They wouldn't win. And people like Boise BYU fans, like, what do you guys want from me? Come on, 
You want to say you win by more points if their starting quarterback played the whole game? <laughs> That's ridiculous. All right, then you got CSU, which no. Well, no, uh, you forgot Air Force now. What am I doing? Tonight? I am blind. <laughs> I am. Well, oh, well, okay. Doing... So, so we just want to like jump into this back half of the schedule. Now? Sure, let's we'll do that. We don't need one. Okay, really... so <laughs> oh, so uh, back half of the schedule. So we're talking about the last six games. So it's home against Air Force, at Colorado State, yeah. at Fresno. Not a chance. Home versus Wyoming. Home versus New Mexico at San Diego State with that nightmarish Black Friday morning kickoff. Nine a.m. Pacific kick. That's a scare. That's a that's a tough back half. It's not an easy back half. Because we know what Air Force does, and whatever our I'm bringing you guys up again. Our Twitter boys, you guys, our DMs. Yes, Air Force will be a tough game. Okay. <laughs> Don't I mean, tell yeah, me. yeah, yeah. They allowed forty nine points, but they also they also you know, managed to score 30 against Boise State last year. Yeah, I'm saying I'm leaning a Boise win, but don't give me this. It's a dominant thing when you win so fairly close, I think, two 10-point games in the past, like, eight tries. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking Boise to win. Just I just think they'll be able to do it. With Air, even Air Force, of course, new QB. But the only thing in Air Force, there's turnbacks. It's kind of hard to tell who's really come back and start and play that well. So that's mm-hmm. an iffy game. I'm leaning Boise. Um, obviously CSU they can beat them because no, it never happens when they're playing the Rams. They just crush them. Has the Rams even beat them yet in the Mountain West? I don't think so, right? No, not that I can recall. Because you know it's future Big Twelve Colorado State Rams. I've been told on Twitter, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of Boise State Broncos fans kind of nodding in their headphones right now and smiling serenely. <laughs> there you go. Like, yes, I got, <laughs> I got the jokes for you guys. <laughs> Fresno, okay, Fresno State. And while we know, well, all these are good. So let's let's stick a touch longer in Fresno State. This is, you know, I said Oklahoma State might be the most. Well, I'm trying to rephrase this the best way because it's going to make some Boise State fans mad. But I'm going to say, outside of the Nevada game, this well, it's home game. This will be on par with the difficult levelness of playing UCF in the opener. Because I think Fresno is that good on offense. Yeah. Um, Yes, you totally. Yes, agree with me. The Jay Kaner, Ronnie Rivers, um, receivers they have, its offense might be second to only Nevada. And well, UCF is up there, but top three at worst. But those top three, UCF, Nevada, and um, Fresno, might all be like top 25 offenses or higher. Yeah, I think the difference between you know those teams you just mentioned and, and Fresno, at least right now on paper, which we'll, we'll talk more about it when we get to the Bulldogs later in the summer. One, can they protect Jay Kaner? Because that was an issue for very long stretches last year, despite their offensive explosiveness. And two, can the defense figure out ways to bend slightly less often? That's because yeah. because they were they were disrupt, they were disruptive. They made their fair share of, of, of kind of turnover worthy plays. They got their sacks and tackles for loss, but they also gave up a lot of big plays as well. And so how are they going to figure out how to remedy that at least a little bit? No, those are all valid concerns about how to get, how to fix that in this, against this Fresno state team. And that's and, what, and that's why I have Boise state winning on the road at Fresno. What you do? Yeah. You don't trust your team. I mean, I think given Boise, <laughs> given Boise state's depth up front, given their potential to rush the passer, you know, I think for as good as Fresno State could be on offense on paper, like if there's if there's one potential Achilles heel, 
it's it's Jake Hayner running for his life like he was for you know yeah. a number of these games in the second <laughs> half of last year. And so I think, yeah, you know, that that is the kind of thing where yeah, a good defensive front can disrupt a strong offense. And I think that Fresno is maybe more liable to 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 stall out because of that than a team like UCF or a team like Nevada. And I think that's the I'm, difference between them. I am gonna say this in the most snarkiest way of why Fresno State's gonna win. Okay. Boise State's going to lose to a team that lost to New Mexico the year before. Okay, I'll get that. <laughs> Fresno State for the win. Uh, that, team was, that team was COVID depleted, by the way. Let's not forget that. For, oh, New Mexico, a fist-string quarterback? No, Fresno State. Oh, I mean, so it's New Mexico. Like a number of dudes. I know. Hey, leave the important parts out. I want the end result. Rivers, they tried to force him in there, that touchdown record. He clearly was not ready to play. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew yeah, that. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Then they host Wyoming, which is going to be the best team in the Mountain Division, I face because the Mountain Division is not very good this year, in my opinion, outside of Boise and Wyoming. We know who Wyoming, quarter, Wyoming quarterback is. It's going to be going back to Sean Chambers. And it's, again, wait till we see what happens because for the offense because we know the defense will be good like what Craig Bull wants to do. There's going to be plenty of talent out there, plus a couple guys are returning on both sides of the ball. But it's going to be the offense because of what, with the new OC coming in from Wisconsin, if he's going to actually promise and deliver throwing the ball and do it well, this could be a t- team where I think it'd be close regardless of why we do does what they normally do with Xavier and Valade running a ton and barely passing. They could still hang around Boise State. But if the passing game opens up and their guys to actually catch the ball like you should in the other wide receivers – and have a good offensive scheme, throwing in the ball in the air, the mix in with that amazing ground game, I'll give Wyoming a pretty good, ch- even a better chance. But I still don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, I mean, you look at the games over the last couple of years, and and you know for reasons you know sometimes outside of their control, Wyoming's found themselves in this game against Boise State with sort of like one hand tied behind their back. You know, like two two years ago they were you know playing on the road on the blue with Tyler Vanderwall giving it to Xavier Valade basically 40 times and hoping to <laughs> yeah. win them the game. And they almost won that game. Let's not <laughs> forget. And, and last year it was like, yeah, it was sort of an ugly 17 to nine game, but like that was also a one score game. And so, you know, they've had their chances to knock off the Broncos in years past. And I really don't see on paper why it won't be more the same. Like this has been, yeah, yeah you know, since you know, Wyoming broke through in 2016, it's still been, you know, all Boise for the last four years, but it's been a lot closer the last couple of years. And so I think I can see another one score game on the horizon, but I would still, I think I would still take Boise to hold serve at home against the Cowboys in this one. Yeah. I think mostly for me, it's just because uh, I don't know what the offense is going to look like, but I think if, I think if they lose at home to Nevada, then they absolutely have to beat Wyoming at home. In November, to win the division. Yes. Okay, it's fair. All right, New Mexico win, right? Yes. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Uh, quarterbacks, official year one kind of for Danny Gonzalez after last year's kind of the road bows, as you like to call them. That was oh man, that was tough. We'll get to them later, but clearly they're not going to be there yet to be Boise State. So we'll get to our Lobos previews later, discuss them more in depth. So at San Diego State, you mentioned it's on Fox. It's 9 a.m. Pacific. Up in, remember Carson, not San Diego quite yet, still up near LA. Yes. Do you 
care it's that early? Or like, do you have any concern or does it matter? It's like, oh, cool. I could watch a game I want to watch. I mean, I, I think about I think about a Black Friday day game. Yeah. Um, and I think about 2013. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and I man. think about how terrible things can happen to good teams. Flashback. Um, with, with such an early kickoff, especially. Which is not to say that, that Boise State is doomed. I'm just saying. Wait, wait. You're not referring yeah. to San Diego State being doomed? Come on. Don't disrespect the Aztecs. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not I didn't mean to. I <laughs> no, apologize. I'm kidding. I know we're talking about Boise all the time. I got to bring those cracks in there when they're open. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're a Broncos fan, you know, on paper, y- yeah, this seems like a game that the, that the Broncos should win comfortably, if not necessarily as a blowout. Oh, given, the, given the circumstances, beware. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it, as for the game itself, my again, what comes to me of what we saw last year for Aztecs, it's always the same thing. If the running game goes well and the quarterback plays adequate, they can beat anybody in the conference. However, running back play, questionable with Greg Bell at the moment as we're sitting here in June. Quarterback play, as we talked about in the um, – we discussed this game before as well. We don't know who the quarterback is, and they'll play like garbage in the spring game. So I'm going Boise State because of what we know at the moment. But it's also week 13 or whatever. Black Friday was, what, six months away from that game? Mm-hmm. Well, so. and, I'm sure, and I'm sure that Broncos fans are aware that – for the last five games have been decided by nine or fewer points. Yeah. I also remember the time I called a special teams play that will decide the game and it did. That's true. Yeah, Just that was that was a couple of years ago, right? Exactly. That was yeah. the last time they played, actually, in 2018. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this I think this will be I'm leaning Boise, but I think this should be a good game. Even I'm hoping that Greg Bell back to fully health. If they have Lucas Johnson quarterback, and he, again that Nevada has super small sample size, but there's potential there if they get him out there with Greg Bell at full strength. Yeah. If that's the case, I can totally see Boise State not winning this game. But we're not talking here the week before the game. We're talking months before the game. And the info we have is going to be quite different for every team. But Aztecs will we'll know who the quarterback is. We'll see how the running game's going, and we'll see what's on the line that weekend. So uh, what's your final record projection? 10-2. and two. And what is it in conference? Oh, conference, 7-1. Um, so I've got the nine and three and seven and one. What was your? Oh, that's why you had Oklahoma State. Yeah. Yeah, I, that what waffling on a bit because I could your points are pretty good in there. I could see, like I could looking at where the bottom could be, they could easily lose to Oklahoma State. They could again lose to Nevada. They could lose to Wyoming. So there's. And even San Diego State, there's a pretty big, big swath of what they could be. I don't see them going like seven to five or six and six by any stretch, but there's enough games on the schedule where I could say, oh, I could see that being a loss. I think yeah. there's enough of those like toss up kind of games a little bit here, because when you look at like Bill Seifer's um, SP Plus and everything, he has only it's only four, it's only three toss up, which I think is kind of low in my opinion. Boy, I don't know why BYU's a toss up. That makes no sense. I'd rather have. Because they have Fresno State, like, as a likely 70% win, Matt. 70%. Too high. Even Nevada, 77%. So, but even look at that. You make your assumptions. His numbers are what they are, and they're really good. But I do think there's potential for more. I feel there's more closer games than what Bill Connolly is predicting for Boise State. Yeah, and, and conversely, I will say yes. that going undefeated is hard. Um, duh. 
<laughs> but I will say that going undefeated is not off the table for this year's Broncos team. Like this, there, there is a, there's, there's a universe out there where they do beat UCF and Oklahoma State and Nevada, and they're playing in New, on a New Year's Day six game on January first. I just think me, that I just think that there is enough demanding games that it's it's really hard for me not to see them tripping up at least once with one of those yeah, games. Especially that last half of the schedule. You know what I mean? It's well, I mean, very, I, think, I think the front part of the schedule is well, they're be both hard. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I'd say there's more games in the back half that are difficult, but the front end is more difficult games. <clears> if that makes sense. It does. So, what do you think? Because I like Nevada. I think Nevada can beat anybody on the schedule. I didn't predict that. Who do you think has the like those? Two, it sounds like you're sounding like Boise State when I'm talking about Nevada, where they could go undefeated. <clears> if you're looking at the two, I know we both predict losses there, but. If you're going to put, like, I'm going to put them one or two to finish undefeated, who would you put at the top more likely? I think if I'm looking at their schedules next to each other, I would probably put Nevada on number one. Same here. I have Nevada as well. Because if, if you gave me at Cal and at Kansas State, I would probably take that over at UCF and home versus yeah. Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's an easier slate right there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else you'd add about Boise State? No, I think we're good. All right. So we'll be back. Um, Sometime next week, mwr.com. Check out the website, Podcast Mountain Swire, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts, because they're free to download. So you're welcome, because we're awesome like that, free podcast. But we'll put up a Twitter poll at MWC Wire or MWC, yeah, MWC Wire on Twitter to vote. We're down to eight teams now. So the Twitter poll will be two. And we're going to do two this time, I guess. So how do you want to do it? We'll take the top two from each one. That's what I was thinking. Okay, that makes sense. So top two. So more chance to get teams in there. We'll vote this week. So check that out to decide who we're going to talk about next. And we get to cram the night before before to decide. Well, we're, maybe how maybe we're talk you about cram. Oh, I'm just saying extra. The last minute cram. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's always the last second. Oh, what's this name? Underline this. Circle that formula. Just saying. But we'll be back next time talking about another team. And we are almost halfway through this, which – Crazy to think about, but we're here four game, four teams in, eight to go. Yeah, just check out next time MWR, and we'll, we'll see you then, folks.